And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT The Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you as we start a new day. Hope everybody's having a better day today. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, and you can hear us on that Raiders app, which we love all over the Raider Nation, brought to you by the powers of PTs. There's a PTs right on the corner near you if you're in Vegas. 64 locations here, and they are ready to host you for March Madness. We will get heavy into March Madness as we're coming up with all the PTs locations. A little bit later on on the show, Chris Holtman, the head coach of Ohio State, a top 10 ranked team, will join us at the top of next hour as I'm starting to feed in some college basketball because it's March, and that's what we do here. Brackets are coming out on Sunday into Monday in the NCAA tournament, which really defines the month of March, along with NFL free agency and baseball uh, getting ready to start and the masters that happens here in a couple of weeks really is where the calendar turns but here on raider nation radio we are focused on the raiders and what happened yesterday on trent brown being traded to the new england patriots uh it is not healthy for me to do a show like i did yesterday it is not healthy for me to come in and blow a gasket the way i did yesterday on trent brown which is something i never look forward to you know, I, I probably, let me take that back. I used to look forward to it back in the day, but I, I don't like chaos, especially with the team on the flagship I work for. I don't like chaos with a lot of fans. I want fans to have positive things to talk about, but mostly fans talk about negative things, and that really is the essence of sports radio. Uh, Memorial Day will be my 25th anniversary in sports talk radio, and I think we've done a good job on a lot of fronts, but most importantly, putting fans on the radio and not filtering them. As long as fans come in and show respect and they have a phone call prepared, they have something informative to say, I'll get you on the radio. If not, I'll do the whole show solo by myself and we'll get it done. But the way it's going to work here on Raider Nation Radio is we have to be transparent about the good, the bad, the ugly, what the fans are thinking, and how to guide that through an NFL flagship portal here that has a relationship with the team, the advertisers, the fans, the players, the coaches, all of that. So it's a little bit more complex than you think when you turn the radio on every day or you stream us on the Raiders app. A lot more goes into this than you would probably think. And we we take it really seriously because that's why I've been on the radio uninterrupted this long because I haven't fell into the bob wire, I haven't fallen off the cliff. Uh, even though you might be pissed off at me certain days, I think you respect the fact that I give you everything I got. And yesterday I did on Trent Brown. I was on NBC Boston television on their flagship, kind of our CSN out here, whatever you follow in the Bay Area. I went on yesterday, last night, and I just went scorched earth on Trent Brown. And it was trending out in Boston and got a bunch of texts from people in Boston and tweets about what I said about Trent Brown, and I didn't hold back. And really the crux of what I said with Trent Brown was that he didn't want to be a Raider. He didn't want to be a Raider because I have tremendous knowledge from being inside the room or outside the room or close to the room of knowing the greatest Raiders who ever played and who are still with us. From Fred Bolitnikoff, who I talk to almost daily, 
to other players and legends. Phil Villapiano. George Atkinson is a mentor of mine. George broke me into Raiders Radio back in the day. So I reach out to these individuals, and I know them. And my wife knows them. My kids know them. I have relationships that I'm very proud of. And I know their DNA as being Raiders and what they care about the most. And they care about loyalty, and they care about winning. That's their philosophy. And when someone comes along who doesn't want to be a Raider, and it's obvious to everybody after they sign and after they come, and for whatever reason, when they lose their interest in the team or they lose their lack of energy and commitment, the fans pick it up instantly. It's not me. I'm not picking it up. You are. I stood in the black hole for years. I stood in the front row of the black hole for years the first ever member in the Black Hole Hall of Fame, and I watched the guys and gals next to me, some of the most hardcore fans I've ever met still to this day. They cleaned up everything. If you weren't real, the Black Hole and the Raider fans got to you. Eventually, they were going to get you. They were going to tell you something. They were going to walk up to you at a banquet, an airport, in the parking lot, and tell you what they really thought. And that's part of the Raider Nation, is the transparency of the fans who call BS, and if they don't think you're giving 100% effort, they're going to run you out of town. And when they do, when you do leave the team or you do get run out of town, the fans then pounce. And yesterday, I think I pounced too much. Yesterday, I went a little bit over the top. On this show, on the TV show I went on in Boston, I kind of was outside my element because I was so pissed off about what's happening because it deeply affects my life and my jobs, plural, and what I do. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that guy every day. I can't be that guy every day. I'm trying to find the positives. I'm trying to build the show every day, prepping for all these different types of sports and interviews. But when it gets to the Raiders, that's my bread and butter here in Vegas, and I want to make sure we're doing the right thing. So on Trent Brown yesterday, the reason it pissed me off so much is because I've sat with Jim Otto many, many times. And I I just recently emceed a Zoom that Art Shell was on, and it was incredible what he said to his teammates, and I saw that. And when you look at Henry Lawrence, who's a friend of mine over the years, three-time Super Bowl champion, John Vela, all Raider fans in the Bay Area know John Vela used to put on some of the biggest Raider road trips of all time, like the Raiders on the road in New Orleans, New York. John Vela would put these parties together, and he loved the Raiders. And Trent Brown didn't like the Raiders. And now everybody wants to point fingers, why? And that's really the the focus of the monologue, what I want to get into. And I want your response to this. You know, why, why do we blame other people when players don't perform? That, that really is something I've been trying to figure out my whole life as a broadcaster. Why do we blame others when the person who's accountable doesn't do their job, and then we start pointing fingers. We blame the owner, the coach, the GM, the trainer, the position coach, and we don't blame the player for losing interest. And Trent Brown is one of the players that I don't recall of a player losing interest as much as he did. And I was very careful with COVID and his illness when it was going on. If you recall, and if you were listening, if you've been constantly listening to the show, that when that happened, I backed off. I said, look, you know, you guys, everybody was calling in on Trent Brown, was really hard on him. And I was reminded, look, this is COVID protocol. This is COVID. I mean, pump the brakes. The stadium hasn't opened yet for fans other than tours. 
and VIPs and people getting inside. A couple of UNLV fans saw it. All right, only one team won the Super Bowl. It was Tom Brady. How shocking is that when you think about it? Last year and and coming up to tomorrow, really being the one-year anniversary of COVID in sports, that everybody needs to take a step back and understand there's been something much bigger going on. It's isolation, it's depression, it's COVID, it's not being able to do certain things that you want to do, not being able to see your family, your friends, travel, and all that. And then you have a bunch of fans who are rabid over one player or another player or a position, and they're losing their minds. And they're out of their minds losing it because they want to win so badly. I promise you, as long as I'm ever in this position, I will never, and I repeat, never get in the way of fans who want to win. I will never stop a phone call and say, you're too passionate. I'll never stop a phone call and say, you want to win too much. Never. That's what I want to hear. That's why I get up for this show two hours a day and do five hours. I want to hear from fans who have opinions that are better than mine more knowledgeable than mine, stronger than mine. I want to be an outlet to get people on the radio and interview people and talk to people. That's all really I want to do. And then I give you enough opinions. No one's ever said, JT, you don't have a strong enough opinion on this or that. Never once. I have those opinions, and when I'm wrong, you correct me or remind me, or I'll tell you. And when it came to Trent Brown, nobody was wrong initially with the the signing of Trent Brown. No one was wrong initially with the signing of Antonio Brown. There were fundamental decisions made at the top of the organization, run through the owner, on players who were not good. They were great. And then things happened. They were mentally unstable players that you really weren't going to find that out until you watched them work. And then you throw in with Trent Brown a pandemic, which could have affected his weight, his cardio, his motivation, all of that combined, and it's the perfect storm of a player failing. That's all it is. It's the perfect storm. And now we're coming out of COVID, hopefully, and there's going to be fans in attendance and there's more things. And Trent Brown could go on and play well in New England. I think everybody realizes that. He could end up being a Pro Bowl player again. He has that type of talent, but it did not work out in Oakland slash Las Vegas. So I'm going to let you clean this up. Because now my focus is on what the Raiders have to do and the level of sense of urgency to really hit the ground running in free agency and the draft and really put together a roster. And the goal was this roster was supposed to be, this upcoming roster, has to be better than the last one. And last year's roster was pretty good. You didn't complain a lot about last year's roster other than a few players on defense. The team was explosive on offense. Carr played at a high level. Waller was unbelievable. And you know that there's a couple of young players that need to find their footing and grow into their position. Now that it's changed, now that we're seeing good players released or trying to come back again if the Raiders can bring them back, you're starting to look at the puzzle and you're starting to realize that there's more openings in the puzzle. See, you had the puzzle and it wasn't finished yet, right? If you're into puzzles, you got a big puzzle on your dining room table, and it's about three-quarters done. And there's a bunch of parts of the puzzle you haven't finished. Then you go away for a couple of weeks, and you come back, and you look at the puzzle. Oh, my God, I thought I was 75% done. I'm really, I'm really only 55% done. That's what's hitting me with this roster going into free agency. Now they have to backtrack 
and go find a new position player for Gabe Jackson, Trent Brown, Richie Incognito, or move in players on paper who are inferior talent-wise to those players and hope they get more out of them. Or the big story is they just go balls out in free agency, and this is a blessing in disguise. But believe me, the last thing I'm going to try to pull the wool over your eyes today and tell you some blessing in disguise story. I'm just telling you that that things have got to happen right now. Like right now, things have got to happen. And the good news from talking to someone inside the building today, the good news is they're ready to pounce. They're ready to pounce. They're ready to roll. They want to get good things to happen here. And they're trying. And the better news is that the entire league, because of the overall cap number decreasing, the entire league is purging their rosters. So that is one of the other things I wanted to get into the opening here, is that if you're a glasses-half-full person, you've got to understand what I'm about to tell you. The entire league, from the Buffalo Bills, Tennessee Titans, all right, go to New Orleans, very good team, are purging. They have cap problems much bigger than the Raiders, and they're getting rid of quality players who are going to hit the opening of free agency, and the Raiders are going to have an equal shot to get them all. They are. Now, the question becomes, do the Raiders overpay for players to try to get them quickly in free agency, right? That makes sense. It's like buying a house. My neighborhood, your neighborhood, if you live in Vegas, everything's selling now. You don't even have to put your house on the market. You can literally put your house on the market in Vegas right now, and in three days you'll get ten offers, and eight of the offers will be overpriced. True. Fact. And and what's happening is the Raiders don't want to have to be in that type of marketplace, where everybody's overbidding for the players that the Raiders need, and then the Raiders are going, oh, my God, we we got to get this guy, but we're going to have to overpay him because we know those players in the past and recently with the Raiders, and that kind of doesn't work out. So here's an important point. The value of the Raiders now in Las Vegas is going to be billions, with a B, not millions, not hundreds of millions. It's going to be billions with a B, more in the next 10 years but no one can see the next 10 years i've lived here since 96 okay i know how this market changes and what it's going to do and what it's going to do for the uh, raiders is the net asset value of this franchise is going to go through the roof it's going to be top five in the league because of revenue and everything that's going to happen in this town and globalization and their brand and the super bowls they've won in the past but you don't care about that right now you just want to see a better team and i understand that So what we're going to do here over the next couple of weeks is we're going to amp up our sense of urgency on the phones and with the guests and try to find a way to find out who these players are going to be. I know how good the offense is. I'm concerned about the offensive line depth as of now. But I'm confident in Tom Cable. I'm confident in some of the players are going to elevate, and I'm confident that they're going to get Kyle Long or another free agent tackle or someone who's going to be really good. I mean, really good. And everybody's going to look at that player and say, the hell with Trent Brown. They got a Raider who wants to be there. I'm confident in that. And then I'm very confident, as I've been saying and put my name on it the whole time, that the Raiders are either going to trade for a defensive starter or go big in free agency and they're going completely heavy in the draft. So I know they're going to get some better defensive players and add some depth. So I feel pretty good about that. So those are just some of the topics that I'm throwing out. And then the key question to the monologue here to get you to call in 
is what position group right now are you most concerned about? What position group are you most concerned about that you think, and Mike Mayock and everybody who listens to the show needs to hear from you? Because if you don't think you count, then we have no show. If you don't think that your opinion counts, we have no show. So that's what I'm asking you. You have the offensive line. You have the defensive line. And you can break up the defensive line into defensive tackles on the interior or edge rushers. You have the secondary, which I think everybody understands free safety is a must, and they're going to get a safety. There's no doubt they're going to get a safety in free agency. Cornerbacks are concern because I don't think the cornerbacks are very good other than having upside. They're not good enough yet to stop NFL stars. That's a problem because Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert are stars in this league, and they're going to pick these Raiders' corners apart unless Gus Bradley and his coaches get those guys up to speed. They don't need a miracle, but let me tell you, those guys, those guys better get good quick. So I'm asking you at 702-365-9200, what position group do you think that the Raiders have to drop everything and be very, very confident with now? And they have to go out and get them. And if you want to overpay for the player, I don't want to go player by player because they're not going to be available. I have a list of the top 130 free agents in front of me, so it can be anybody. It's like throwing darts. I just want to talk about big picture in general, what you think the Raiders need to concentrate on. And once again, it's not the first time I've been to this rodeo, but once again, it's time to get guys who love football who are leaders. Because I cannot believe that some of the guys who they're bringing in are not leaders. Trent Brown was not a leader at all. He lacked leadership. But he got a whole bunch of money because of his upside and talent. He failed John Gruden. John Gruden didn't fail Trent Brown. John Gruden signed him, hugged him, told him he loved him, compared him to LeBron James, gave him everything he wanted, including money, generational wealth, a practice facility, a new stadium, and said, hey, man, hey, big guy, let's go. He failed John Gruden. John Gruden didn't oversleep and miss practice. John Gruden didn't screw up anything with Trent Brown. Trent Brown screwed John Gruden. Antonio Brown gave John Gruden a hug and said he loved him and he couldn't wait to play for him at the press conference with his children and the woman at the press conference at the time who he ended up screaming at and treating her like crap, it was all an act for Antonio Brown. He screwed John Gruden with his behavior in Napa, California. But the due diligence on Antonio Brown, great player. Not good player, great player. You can go back to Randy Moss coming here. Randy Moss never wanted to be a Raider. He was one of the great receivers of all time. Did anybody fail him? Well, the team wasn't very good, so he quit on the team. That was where he was at. He played on some other bad teams before. He never quit on them. And then there are other players who come here and they give everything they have. They're always, they're just great. Again, what can you say about Rodney Hudson? There's nothing to say. He just keeps winning commitment to excellence awards. He keeps leading. He always plays. He doesn't give up sacks. He's a leader. He's not a vocal leader in the community where he's pounding his chest saying, look at me. Darren Waller got sober, saved his life. The Raider organization saved him as a football player, and he lived up to all the hype. Now Darren, he'll come on any radio show. He'll help out anybody. He'll donate money to any charity. He'll do everything for everybody. Great Raider. And then you got Derek Carr who was at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway with his beautiful little boys 
on Sunday, gentlemen, start your engines, drivers, start your engines, total leader, wants to be here and wants to win. And we're back to this conversation again about who wants to be a leader? Really? Why doesn't, why doesn't everybody want to be a leader? you got a highly motivated coach, a highly motivated GM, an owner that wants to win more than anything right now. you got a community that's vibrant about this team, and we're, we're really discussing, like, who wants to be here or not. It's fascinating to me. I have never woken up a day in my life not inspired about something. I have never, and I just think it's my mom and dad. I grew up inspired every day. I'm not in the greatest mood every day. I'm not the best guy to be around, but I'm inspired every day when I wake up to try to do something, try to do something special that day with my wife, my kids, my radio shows, my neighbors, my friends, whatever it is, just picking up the phone and calling a friend who's down and trying to pick him up, whatever it is. And now I'm sitting here talking about players who have to be let go because they're not inspired. They can't keep their weight down. They don't know if they're available. They don't know if they want to play. And and you and some of the fans want to go on message boards and rip the coach for that? John Gruden's one of the most inspiring people I've ever met, and I've met many. I've met many. And some of the most inspiring people you could ever be in a room with. And John Gruden's on the Mount Rushmore of a guy who could walk into a room and inspire anybody. And now you have analysts on other channels saying he's a control freak, he wants to do this, it's his way or the highway. People on the outside, a lot of background noise. And then a bunch of Raider fans, a bunch of Raider fans now who are very doubtful. And that's either great. Some program directors love that. They're like, put all those lunatics on the radio. Let's stir the pot. And there are other Raider fans who see the big picture. We're all different. That's why we want your opinion. And we want them faster we want more volume we want more consistency so we don't have a show like other stations have and other flagships that suck and are lame and have no energy we want to separate ourselves on raider nation radio by getting fans who are just ready to go rapid fire for two hours got a great lineup great radio shows all i care about is me from noon to two my partners are advertisers and you and then my teammates and then my bosses but this show's about you and what you think's going to happen with the Raiders. So call to action. What's the biggest priority next week for the Raiders? Give me the position group and why and what they better be ready for. 702-365-9200. Tony in Walnut Creek. What's happening, Tony? Start us off. Hey, Brick. I want to talk about the position group thing. But first, I got to say I agree with 100% of what you just said, number one. Number two, you don't have to apologize for the uh, the Trent Brown rant yesterday because that's exactly what I did. I was waiting for this guy to get cut. I called up the morning show and vented about him. In my opinion, you know, you mentioned Randy Moss, you mentioned Antonio Brown, but in my opinion, the two most disgusting in terms of lack of effort and commitment were Trent Brown and Jamarcus Russell. They're the top of my list, and I'm glad to see that guy gone because he didn't want to be here. you got to be committed to your team, your teammates, and this guy wasn't. So good riddance as far as I'm concerned. In terms of the position groups, I think, you know, definitely we need a free safety, but I think the defensive line, we need to get um, more pressure on the quarterback. As Al Davis said, the quarterback must go down, and he must go down hard. That's where the defense begins, putting pressure on the quarterback, make him uncomfortable. And Right now, we didn't get any push up the middle. 
and I think we need somebody to compliment Crosby so he's not getting double teamed as much, and we have people coming at the quarterback from different angles. So start at the defensive line. That's my take. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of defensive linemen, appreciate the call, and edge rushers who are now becoming cheaper, and Clowney and Ngakwe are two guys that I've liked, and Clowney's coming off an injury, and they're much cheaper than they were a year ago when they were on everybody else's radar. And if you take a look now that the salary cap is going to be at $182.5 million, uh, that means that there are going to be some edge rushers and defensive tackles who are going to be cut here in the next couple of days that are going to get on the Raiders, on the Raiders radar very quickly. And I think they'll be able to do that. But are they going to be able to find stars? What stars are available? Ten of the top 18, ten of the top 18 free agents have been um, franchise tagged, re-signed by their current team, or went to a new team, and that would be J.J. Watt. That's ten of 18 players. So a lot of other players now are going to have to get let go. A lot of other players now in the next week are going to get cut as teams try to get under the salary cap. And the Raiders have got to completely pounce on the one or two players in each position group they want with full offers, even if they get turned down. Full offers, just like a house in a neighborhood. Find the house you want, have your offer ready, send the offer in. If you lose the house, go to the next one. And defensive tackle and edge rush are really important. Max Crosby is going to be here a long time. He's a good player. Cleveland Farrell was taken number four overall. He can play edge, but I think they're going to move him inside more. Hopefully, his workouts are legendary. Hopefully, he's putting on more muscle. He's in tremendous shape. There's no COVID issues. He's ready to go. And then you got to get something out of him. He's got to pop this year. Cleveland Farrell, this upcoming year, has to be really good. And really good. And then when you look at the rest of who they're going to mix and match, that defensive tackle, from what we've seen with Mo Hurst and Jonathan Hankins and other players, they're just not good enough to play every play, and they're not pro bowlers, and they need a pro bowler, and the only way to get a pro bowler is to find one again in the draft and develop them or to find someone who they really believe is going to pop and young enough and they could go after in free agency. And I'll have the list of all of them coming up here. 702-365-9200, once a Raider, always a Raider, coming up on the other side. Interesting player, former fullback that I think you'll like a lot. When we get into that, Manasseh Tonga, who filled in and was there during a pretty big time for the Silver and Black. He's going to join us and your phone calls and the head coach of Ohio State Basketball and a couple of partners. We're always busy on Raider Nation Radio. Trent's whole thing is when he's, when he's healthy, in shape, and ready to go, he's as dominant as any tackle in football. And he proved that early in the 2019 season. Since then, it's been kind of a roller coaster. So really what he needs to do, I think more than anything, is get himself in the best shape of his life and come out ready to prove that he is a dominant tackle in the National Football League. Yeah, that's Mike Mayock on Trent Brown. He was done at that point. He was obviously being shopped at that point. Uh, 
Trent was going to play hardball on his money, and he didn't want to be with the Raiders. So it was it just deteriorated, and it didn't deteriorate it quickly. It deteriorated this whole past season, and I think the Raiders wanted more out of him, and they just couldn't get it out of him. So when you look at the player, you look at the coaches, you look at the contract, there's a lot of blame to go around. But what a shame. He could have been a great Raider. He could have played two or three seasons with the Raiders, led the Raiders to the playoffs, and he would have been revered as a Raider the rest of his life and had a Super Bowl ring from New England. Hey, let's go back to 2010. I've been hosting TV for the Raiders for a long time, and I was hosting Behind the Shield. This was when Hugh Jackson was the head coach, and I threw to this feature on TV. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, JT. Earlier this season, when fullback Marcel Reese went down to injury, head coach Hugh Jackson said, next man up. And that gave fullback Manasse Tonga a unique opportunity. He was ready to go. He's a local product with a bright outlook. There he is, and we have him back. Manasse, JT, good to talk to you again. It's been over a decade. How you been? Oh, I've been doing good, you know, surviving, living the family life. Good for you. I, I want to begin, once a Raider, always a Raider, as a local product out of San Mateo. Looking back on your career, all league, all county, those rushing records you put up in high school, you were a hell of a runner in high school. Talk about your early years and how you found early success as a runner. Uh, yeah, you know, I was just fortunate enough. I think I was just blessed to be uh, a little bit more physical and um a lot faster than most of the kids on the field, um, but yeah, I, I, I was given opportunities. I, you know, my coaches that believed in me, uh, great teammates, um, and you know, not to mention just a lot of support, family members behind me. So, uh, yeah, you know, they really gave me the drive and the push to be, you know, to be the best, to be the best I could be. Former Raider fullback Manasse Tonga is our guest. So you end up going to BYU and you have a hell of a career there, both as a blocker, a receiver, and a rusher. How'd you find your way to BYU? Is that where you always wanted to go? Um, long story short, I actually signed with uh, the University of Utah at a high school, mm. um, but with a lot of coaching changes that took place, uh, I had signed with uh, Ron McBride and then they had a bunch of coaching changes. Urban Meyer came in for a couple of years, and then Kyle Whittingham took over. Um, and in that in that time, I had uh, BYU had reached out to me uh, later on when Bronco Mendenhall took over, mm-hmm. and you know they sold me. Brandon Doman was the was the guy who kind of sold me on coming to BYU. And honestly, I think that was the best decision I've made. Then you end up with the Raiders. You signed after going undrafted in the 2010 NFL Draft. What was that phone call like? How did you know you were on the Raiders' radar? Were you aware of that before that draft, going into that draft? Did you think you would be taken before the, you got the call from the Raiders? How did that work out? Uh, you know, I, I, was, I was in constant contact with my agent, and, you know, he kind of gave me the spiel. He said, you know what, there's, there's teams that are out there. Uh, the Raiders actually were never on my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, honestly, it, it was totally a blessing in disguise. Uh, you know, not being drafted, I was able to kind of select from a few teams. And when Oakland, uh, when the Raiders, you know, through their, you know, said that they were interested, it was kind of a no-brainer for me. I, I got to go home, you know, and play in, you know, in front of family and friends. 
And so for me, it, it definitely worked out in the end. At one point, you backed up Marcel Reese, who was a pro bowler, and you were a practice squad guy. When you got your opportunity, you were ready for it. What were the what were the years like on the practice squad in preparation? Because you were a teammate. You were in there with all your teammates. You were a part of that team. And when you got called up to travel and play, we did that feature on you over a decade ago. You were really motivated. That was an emotional time for you. Oh man, I still get I still get butterflies. You know, just thinking about that whole experience. Um, you know, being able to, you know, that first year being in the practice squad, I was definitely able to learn a lot from Marcel um, and also just the other the, the running backs in the room. The one thing about being on that Raiders squad was, you know, they didn't look at me any different. Um, and, and that mm-hmm. went for all the practice squad players, you know, from the starters, from the Richard Seymours down to the, the little guys like myself. You know, everyone was expected to be ready come Sunday. And, you know, they held me to that standard. And so... Yeah, when my name got called, you know, I was ready. I, I couldn't wait. And um, not only that, but my teammates, were they were they were all excited for me. They were happy for me, and they couldn't wait to see me get out there and, and do what I knew I could do. Yeah, you're a highly respected writer, teammate. And I remember the Houston game where you got called up, and I'll say Tonga is our guest. What was it like playing at the end of Al Davis's life when Al Davis at the end of his life and – your coach at the time knew that, and a lot of people were concerned about the health of Mr. Davis, and it was it was a big topic around the Bay Area and around the NFL, and you guys were trying to focus to play football games. Man, yeah, it was it was totally a, a surreal moment. Um, I, I remember, you know, the 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 day it happened. You know, mm. when Coach Jackson called us in for a team meeting and broke the news to us. You know, it was heartbreaking. Um, but at the same time, I, I, for me personally, just knowing the kind of man that he was, you know, what he meant not only to the Raider organization but to the NFL was, um, was definitely something that we were all proud of. And then, you know, it kind of gave us that extra yeah. pep in our step. We wanted to, you know, go out there and, and you know, do it for him. Um, and so I, I, I was just fortunate. You know, I, I found myself lucky to – to have been with him, you know, in the last couple of years of his life and just to be able to interact with him, I, I thought that was a that was a huge moment for myself. And then that Houston game was just, man, it was all sorts of crazy. Everything going into that game, me, that was my first start. Yeah, um, I remember. Team, we, we, you know, emotions were running real high. And, uh, and I, even down to that last play, I remember that game like it was yesterday. And most people don't know, but that last play when, you know, Huff has that interception, uh, Tyvon was able to force a, force a pretty ugly throw. We only had 10 players on that defense on that last yeah. play. And so for us to finish the game in that way, um, the way we did, the way we were able to fight, man, I was totally like, you know, that was the – that is exactly what Raider football – is right there you know the way we finished that's how you know that was that commitment to excellence that Al Davis was always preaching nicely said I remember that game yesterday and especially your first start and the impact that you had and and the celebration of life afterwards and how important that chapter was in Raider history Manasseh Tonga joins us finally what are you doing now with BYU what's going on in your life you're a young guy you have your whole life in front of you what's exciting what do you got going on 
Man, you know what? I uh, I have kids. You know, my, my, my kids are of age now where I'm able to coach their teams. Uh, I, I was I was a GA. I went back and, you know, got my finished school. Once I was done playing, I went back to BYU as a student assistant. And then I, uh, I was a graduate assistant for a little bit there. Just, you know, staying – I'm still trying to stay involved in the game of football. You know, this is my passion. This is what I love to do. And so BYU was, you know, gracious enough to allow me to come back, help me finish school, um, and then just help me work with the team. And, and now that I'm done, uh, my next chapter in life is, you know, I, I'm coaching my kids now and, and coaching mm-hmm. their Little League teams, and it's awesome. Yeah, there's nothing better. And it's a, it's a great life, a great footprint you've had, and it's still uh, developing. Last one, once a Raider, always a Raider. What does it mean being a member of this organization to you? Oh, man. Uh, I think you said it better. John Gruden says it best. You know, once a Raider, always a Raider. And you, you feel it. You see it everywhere I go. Um, it's, it's everywhere. You know, just it's definitely a, it's definitely a family atmosphere. Um, for, you know, definitely a, a huge fraternity. Uh, mm. Yeah, I, I, I can't say enough about the, the organization, just being affiliated with the program, being an alumni here. Um, yeah, like you said, I, I'm I'm a decade removed from you know wearing that shield, but I still feel part of the family, and they they go out of their way to make me, you know, feel a part of that red organization, and I love it. Nicely said, and that you mean everything to the organization. That's why we're having you on. And I'll say I'll see you when you get out to Vegas for a game this year. It'll be great to connect again. Yes, sir, JT. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Manasse Tonga, former fullback. And, you know, I get the list of who we're going to have on every week. And when they said, I go, wait a second. And Katie, who works with the alumni department, sent me a video on YouTube of me introducing a segment with Jeanette Thompson, former Raider Ed, who was one of our TV teammates, where we did a feature on him when he got his start in that Houston game. And Hugh Jackson brought him up to start because Marcel was injured at the time. And just a really interesting story about how he gets his first start in the Al Davis game when Mr. Davis passed and the Raiders won that game in Houston. And every Raider fan remembers that. That was a big deal. Really appreciate the fact that we were connecting with him. I haven't talked to him in 11 years. Sounds like he's doing great. 702-365-9200. We're open till the top of the hour. Next hour, Dan Shanka from Our Lads. I reached out to one of the best of the best iconic draft insiders. And he's going to talk Raiders exclusively. You don't want to miss that. He's going to join us at about 120. Uh, Chris in West Oakland always brings fire. How are you, Chris? Hey, Jason. Yeah, great interview, man. I, I remember that game like it was yesterday in Houston. It was hard to believe it's been, uh, God, you know, it's going to be 10 years this year that Al's been gone already. just shows you how time flies. But, you know, listen, uh, before I hit Trent Brown, I'm going to answer your, your other question first. What do I want to see the most out of this defense? I, it's, it's, it's such a hard thing to say because this defense literally needs everything. There's not a single spot you can say, yeah, we can't get better there. I love Max Crosby, uh, but, but again, Max Crosby's right where he's at. He's a fourth-round draft choice. He's got a great motor, but he needs another stud. And the way the NFL's evolved now, JT, with the quick passing, I, I wonder sometimes, and I read a good article the other day, where your guys that collapse the pocket might be more valuable to your edge rushers, or at the very least, you need somebody up the middle. I believe what kept a guy like Max 
sacks Crosby from a dozen to 15 sacks last year is there's never any steady pressure up the middle. So as much as I'd like a Shaq Barrett, the Raiders have to identify somebody, and I don't think it's Cleveland Farrell, whether it's somebody else in the draft or a big-time free agent, to wreak havoc and push the pocket up the middle and not allow them to just get gassed with ones up the middle. That being said, if I had a choice, I still think I'd go with a ball-hawking free safety. A Tyron Mathow type. Not him. He's not available. But they've got to find somebody that gets seven or eight turnovers a year in this secondary. When we went to the Super Bowl last year, we had a historic offense. Our defense was, I think, 12th or 13th. Wasn't dominant, but you had Charles Woodson, Rod Woodson. Yeah, I know those are the best of the best in the Hall of Famers, but you've got to get somebody that turns the ball over on a regular basis. And if I see the Raiders sign another guy that has two career interceptions in seven years or none, you know, I'm going to know that they failed this again. So we'll just wait. We'll just have to wait and see. I don't have confidence. Just going back to you got to go back to Namdi Asamoah, JT, in 2001, the last time the Raiders had a first round draft choice on defense that justified the pick. And as far as Trent Brown goes, good riddance. I was always on this guy's side. I never questioned injuries. But let's, let's, let's be honest. This guy's a dog. He was a dog in San Francisco. He put it together one year. You see it with so many athletes. His contract year, he played 16 games, played his ass off. And I don't want to hear any more about these that He didn't want to be here. Well, you didn't have any problems signing that huge contract that the Raiders gave you, you know, $40 million guaranteed money. And then you flat out dogged it for two years. So good riddance. Go back to New England. I don't wish injury on anybody, JT, but I don't wish this guy the best. I hope the rest of his career is a bust because he stole money from the from the Raider franchise, didn't give his best, and it screws people like me, you, Derek Carr, and everybody that loves this team because he not only did he not earn his money, he didn't care. The most important ability is availability, and this guy sat over there on the sidelines, and yeah, I don't know how hurt he was, but he definitely doesn't scream of the type of player that would do anything anything to get back out on the field. It was a horrible signing, and I hope they learn from their mistake because you've got to have somebody on that side of the line if you want to run the ball like Coach Gruden does. Thanks for letting me rant, as always, my friend. Great show today, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Yeah, you just don't know. you When you sign certain players with tremendous upside athletically and they could be dominant, it's tough because you have to pay them. You're not going to get Trent Brown unless you pay him. X amount of dollars. There's too many teams that were interested. You know, we had a caller earlier who mentioned Jamarcus Russell, who was drafted number one overall. And I was involved with the Raider draft like I am now that day. There were 10 teams, not two teams. There were 10 teams that would have taken Jamarcus Russell number one and would have taken him number two if the Raiders didn't. So remember that. It wasn't like, oh, the Raiders swung and missed on Jamarcus Russell. 10 teams would have taken him number one. It was a lock. Trent Brown looked to be a pretty good player, talent-wise. And, again, I don't like to question people's heart when it comes to COVID, but from the people I talked to on and off the record, he didn't want to be there. He was a cancer in the organization. He wasn't happy. He didn't bring any energy to the team. He didn't do anything in the community. Big point. Really big point because I sit here. And I just talked to a guy who, did, who didn't even play. He was a practice squad player and only got a couple of games in. And he loved being a Raider, right? Manasseh Tonga, who just joined us. Trent Brown did nothing. You know, I'm sure he did a couple of appearances here or there. He wasn't really open to radio. He didn't do much because he didn't care. And maybe he wanted to go back to the Patriots. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it plays out.
Well, I'll tell you, I rumbled last night on TV in Boston, man. I came in there spitting fire, and a lot of Boston fans are like, what? Oh, oh, we didn't know that about him. Yeah, guys tweeting at me, oh, we didn't know. We just thought we were getting our guy back. No, you got a guy who was a letdown. No doubt about that. A lot of news. Dak Prescott just had his press conference. It was great. Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, Dak, they did it. Big press conference at the Star in Dallas. Very impressive. The Star in Dallas is what the Raiders built in Henderson. Their facility to have press conferences like this on the practice field or outside. It's going to be amazing. And coming up next, there's positive COVID news. I want to tell you about in sports. Brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. We haven't really gotten into the actual contract proposals, negotiations, things like that. It was more of a general conversation about a lot of different things. The team, Lamar, you know, just how we were going to go about a negotiation like this. There's definitely some different moving parts that make this different than a lot of other negotiations we've done. Eric DaCosta of the Ravens, the GM, on what they got to do with Lamar Jackson. That's the next big contract. Dak Prescott just at his. I think Lamar's going to get more. I think Lamar Jackson is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott, who's now the second highest paid quarterback in all of football. Remy Martin is taking team up for excellence to a higher level as they with the Circa Hotel Sportsbook for this year's college basketball tournament. Circa's three-story sportsbook is the largest sports betting experience in the world with the most advanced technology while providing Good old-fashioned Vegas hospitality, so come party in style at the world's largest sports book with your very own VIP table and celebrate your bracket wins with Remy Quantro VIP drink packages. Go to CircleLasVegas.com to book your spot. That's CircleLasVegas.com. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. So today was a story, great story today that should have everybody excited in Vegas. The Texas Rangers became the first pro team to announce full capacity. Now, NFL teams have said they anticipate full stadiums in 2021, but the Texas Rangers have become the first team in any professional sport to announce a return to full capacity. The Major League Baseball team, which plays at Globe Life Field, that's where the World Series was just, where the Dodgers won. They're going to allow maximum occupancy of 40,518 for the home opener on April 5th. It will have distance seating, Sections available for its other April games. The Rangers do plan to open the roof as often as possible, and they will require a mask or face covering for all fans. The governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, allowed businesses to fully open today with each individual business deciding whether to require face masks. So if we're going to be at full capacity at Allegiant Stadium, it's going to be because of NASCAR opening up and baseball before football this is a big moment when it comes to fans and seats because of the texas rangers